0: Not far from the sparkling waters of the English Channel, there sits a cottage shaded by large trees and surrounded by verdant lawns and gardens. Few activities so please the spirit of the occupant of that house than the opportunity to pour a cup of tea and stroll along the winding pathways of that property those walks on misty mornings or sunny afternoons took mimi so very far from the grime of the inner city streets that had been her world for most of her life the banks of of colorful flowers and the open vistas she could attend to now filled her mind and spirit with a sense of clarity and freedom that she had had never known during all those years when her world was defined by the dingy walls of the run-down apartment in which she lived. The fresh breeze and the blue sky above were so unlike the smoke-stained air of the industrial city that for so many years had been the only life that Mimi knew. As a girl, Mimi had dreamed of one day living in a paradise, something like this place. That dream, however, had dissolved into little more than a fleeting fantasy and then just a nagging ache by the time that she was a young woman straining to scratch out a a living in the urban desert of Liverpool in the 1950s. And when the ache for something more would sometimes still rise up within her, Mimi would stuff it down as unrealizable and try and channel her passion instead into nurturing the orphaned nephew who had come to live with her when he was just a boy. You won't always have to live like this, Aunt Mimi, the boy would sometimes say. Oh, sure, child, she'd reply. She was certain that it was only a matter of time before the child's imagination got crushed like one of those flowers or saplings that sometimes tried to fight its way up through the cracks in the sidewalk outside of her run-down building. And like hers, his dreams surely would get ground underfoot in the end. But now, here she was. Surrounded by trees and flowers in full bloom. And the sunlight filtering through the branches above made the leafy canopy almost look like stained glass sending down through the opening streams of light that that illuminated the lawn below like the radiant nave of a great sanctuary sometimes. Mimi strolled across the thick carpet of grass. And opening the door of this home she entered in and passing through the living room, she stopped in front of the fireplace as she had done so many times in recent years. The slow smile spread across her face. She gazed at a a plaque above the mantel. On it were inscribed the words that she'd so often said to the boy who lived in her apartment, the the boy with the persistent imagination and, and dreaming soul, the son who had one day built for her this garden home, and the plaque read as follows playing the guitars all very well and good, John Lennon, but you'll never make a living doing it. It's wonderful when someone has a dream that just won't die. And it's all the more wonderful still when that vision is one that wants to bless other people by its fulfillment. Have you got a dream like that? Have you got a dream that large? I'm not talking about that vision we sometimes have in younger days of, of, of getting good grades or into the right school. I'm not talking about the the hope we have of, of being a success in our vocation or achieving financial security. I don't mean the vision some of us carry of mastering a, a particular skill or, or shedding those unwanted pounds. I'm not even thinking of that ambition to see our kids grow up healthy or, or of retiring in the sun one day as noble as those aspirations truly are. No, when I say dream, I'm referring to those vast visions, those deeper longings beneath the surface of all those other kinds of hopes. Mark Twain once observed that there are times when you don't quite know what it is you do want, but it fairly makes your heart ache. You want it so. And I think if we were to spend sufficient time together to reflect long and hard and find the words to describe something of the nature of that ache, we would find ourselves describing some fundamental longings that unite us with every person who has ever lived or whoever will. And I'd like to think with you today upon some of them in the hope that as we understand something of those yearnings, we will learn to make better sense of what we experience every day. There is, first of all, within every human being, I believe, a profound longing for intimacy. It is, at its root, the desire to love and be loved, to know and be known by others at the very deepest of levels, and to find there not the the judgment and the rejection that that we sometimes fear, but instead the, the incredible acceptance and embrace for which we hunger. And many of us, indeed, I would suggest every person in our culture spends uh, their entire lives reaching out for that kind of relationship, sometimes all too clumsily, struggling to establish that, that kind of bond. And we do so instinctively knowing that a, a caring connection like that would change life fundamentally. It, it would provide the sort of companionship and comfort that would make the the highs of life just that much sweeter wouldn't it the lows just that much more survivable this longing for intimacy we are united secondly by a longing for irrigation, for lack of a better word, by a deep desire that shows up when we're very small, nursing. At a mother's breast to soak up whatever resources will enable us to grow a, a richer life, a, a fuller fiber, a, a, a better kind of character and conduct as we grow older in life. And, and so we spend our days reading and, and watching and listening and, and learning, all in the hope that somehow by drinking in the right expertise and soaking up the right kinds of experiences, we're going to be able to make a better life, to, to better discern priorities and deal with problems and, and develop skills that will make the most of this one go-round we have. And so we push ourselves and our children to grab for all we can get. And alongside this striving for, for intimacy and for irrigation, there is also this longing for influence that links us to. To put it succinctly, we all of us want to give a gift that matters. We want to add value to to our workplaces, not merely draw a paycheck. We want to add something vital to to our families, not merely go through the motions. We we want to, to give to our friends and the society around us something from the depths of who we are that will make whatever circle we enter better than it would ever have been had we not been there. But it isn't enough for us to to, to just do that here and now. We instinctively want to give gifts that keep on giving, to leave a legacy, to sow a seed that continues long after we've been uprooted from this earth. And this is the longing for immortality, I suppose, that's native to every human being. It's behind all of our efforts to write the great novel, to paint the great work of art. It's there deep within the the hunger and the effort to, to build the big business. It's there in the soul of those who work to spawn a family or shape an enduring institution. And whether we think of ourselves as religious or not, Every one of us wants some part of eternal life. Finally, I I believe that within all of us, there lies a longing for illumination. At its core, I suppose, it's that desire, so simply captured by the late Charles Schultz, When he pictured that beloved character Snoopy, of all creatures, maybe you know the image I'm thinking of. It's the one where where Snoopy, and wrapped with the wonder of some dimension of life, tosses his head back and dances with abandon in the sun. All of us want to know something of that illumination, don't we? Uh, We want our lives to to be, in the end, uh, a dance of gratitude and not merely a a dirge of grief or, or grumbling. We want to sing a song of joy as we live, not spend our days sighing or sulking. We long to be the kind of people who who frequently lift their heads and rise on their toes and celebrate the sheer wonder of life's unique, unrepeatable light. So let me ask you a very personal question. Are you finding any echo of those sorts of yearnings in you. Some of us may be so anesthetized by the hurry, or the worry, or the slurry of life's activities, that we're hardly even aware of that ache in our souls. For others of us, these longings may well be a dominating and daily throb, but in either case or in between, where these yearnings are not met in the best way possible, life within us and within our wider culture becomes something of the desert that Mimi experienced in her earlier existence, a place of narrow walls and shadows and mere hopes. But where they are met in God's way, life on this earth can become the garden for which we were made." I said, for which we were made. That's a religious confession. For it has been the conviction of the Christian church throughout the ages that that this ache within human nature is not accidental as in just uh, a simple product of random chemicals. It is not incidental in the sense of something that can sort of be just sloughed off or pushed aside. It is fundamental. And we yearn for the fulfillment of these longings, Christians have said, The Bible says to us, because we were made to have them fulfilled. And at the root of the human person, of any race, of any culture or society, embedded in the very code of our existence, I believe, is a collective, if sometimes unconscious, memory of a time when that primordial ache found an answer in God's plan. first book of the Bible teaches us that there was a time when human beings had an identity deeper than the one we sometimes grant ourselves in this naturalistic world. And in that beginning time, human beings dwelled in perfect intimacy with absolute love itself. And in the company of that love, were able to walk naked and unashamed to know and to be known completely. And there was a season when human life enjoyed at a level that's almost unimaginable in our time, a a steady irrigation by the very resources and riches of God that gave them all that was necessary for the development of every aspect of character and conduct that makes life abundant. And fortified in this way, human beings exerted a majestic, wise, creative influence upon one another and upon the world around them in gracious dominion, in humble dominion. And they knew immortality of body and illumination of soul. And life was a garden. It isn't so much anymore. Oh, there are still pockets. Still so much to be celebrated and enjoyed. But the Bible teaches that turning against their creator, human beings, progressively came to seek to fulfill their longings by other means than those which he had provided. And as a result, lasting intimacy has been lost by growing alienation. And and intimacy itself has increasingly been traded in our time for momentary ecstasy. And in our day and culture, millions live economically flush, but spiritually parched existences. And children pursue influence now with guns. And those with The capacity to do the most good increasingly seek the good life instead of a life that is good. And immortality has been reduced to a matter of cryogenics, or a page in a book, or or, or a hand and footprint in the concrete of human fame, and many of the allegedly most illumined souls live with little gratitude and only moderate joy. By grace, it's not this way everywhere, as I've said. And and by grace, one day, it will be this way nowhere. You see, God has a dream that won't die, that will not be crushed, that cannot be destroyed, no matter what pressures appear to prevail against it. And a much greater John than the one with which I started today was given a vision to see God's intentions. And the last book of the Bible, amazingly, tells us that God's plan is to bring things full circle, back to the beginning. And there will come a time, this book says, when intimacy with God and with people will be perfectly restored. And they will see his face, the scriptures say, and his name, his identity will be upon their very nature, renewing all of their relationships. And the river of life, the Bible pictures it, God's life will flow, not just in in a little church here, in, in the missionary's life there, but through the very center of human culture again, irrigating it again and bringing forth every good fruit. healing the nations, how they need to be healed. And no longer will men and women be cursed by confusion as to what their influence is meant to be used for. For the throne of God will be in their midst, says the scripture, and his servants will serve him alone, his purposes, with all of their gifts. And immortality will not be a fantasy, but the norm. For they will live forever and ever, the scripture says. And illumination will be everywhere, for there will be no night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God himself will give them light. And basking in the light of God's Son, in their midst, life will be one great song of thanksgiving and dance of joy forever and ever. Amen. Until that day comes, You and I, the church of Jesus Christ, is called to live as if that day had already broken in upon us. As in some sense with the coming of Christ it has. And we are to work to see that our life together and our witness out in the world, depicts something of the character of Eden restored. Because you see, there are a lot of people out there, and you know many of them, who are still thinking, like Mimi, that being a Christian is all very well and good. but you'll never make much difference by being one. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could help them, even one of them, have the sort of marvelous surprise that Mimi got? More of how we do that is what we'll begin exploring next week as we return to God's Word.